Today's episode of the Dad Tired Podcast is brought to you by Samaritan Ministries. Samaritan Ministries is a biblical solution to healthcare where hundreds of thousands of Christians across the nation bear one another's medical burdens through prayer and financial support. It's not insurance and there are no network restrictions, which means you choose the doctors, treatments, and hospitals that are right for you. Medical bills are sent to Samaritan Ministries and they notify members to pray and send money directly to you to help pay those bills. It's affordable with a sharing program that could fit your budget and you can join today. Samaritan Ministries is always there to help you choose a quality healthcare provider, to price medical procedures and 24-7 access to medical professionals by phone or email to get medical advice before you visit the doctor, which is going to save you time and money. When you think about Samaritan Ministries, you think about the verse in Galatians 6-2, which says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. If you'd like to learn more about this amazing community, you can go to SamaritanMinistries.org slash dadtired. Again, that's SamaritanMinistries.org slash dadtired. Justin, super excited to be hanging out with you today, man, and be talking about your new book and all the things that you got going on. I guess as we jump in today, we are just talking about that background and uh, <laughs> tell us where you are, what you're up to these days and a little bit about yourself. My family and I live uh, about 45 minutes south of San Francisco, kind of in the geographical you know, center of Silicon Valley, kind of between you know, San Jose and you know, Menlo Park. So a little bit about me. So I run a full-time ministry now, but kind of led three different careers. First as a, a lawyer on Wall Street, doing kind of corporate law for a little while, and then back here in my kind of hometown doing investing uh, in high-tech companies. So I did that for about 15 years. And then God really just got a hold of my heart through a bunch of men. And, uh, you know, I had to leave what I was doing and started mm. uh, doing full-time ministry with my wife in 2013. We have three kids, so two boys in college and a little girl who's not so little anymore, who's a sophomore in high school. Man. So, um just a, just a real fun kind of time of life. We're out of the crazy, rich, wonderful time when the kids were young and uh, kind of uh, enjoying this time when the kids are, kids are older and kind of launching into life. I'm looking forward to that season, man. I'm trying to be fully present in this season and just enjoy it. But the other, oh, it's the other, so rich. Yeah. The other day we were uh, sitting at dinner, my wife and I, and we're moving across the country right now. You can see my office is like bare and scattered right now. Yeah but we're moving across the country. And so there's just boxes everywhere. It's just a, it's a disaster at our house right now. We have four kids young and they're just, they're chasing each other. It's been, I live in Portland, so it's rainy here. So they can't go outside. It's like just full chaos. (laughs) We're just Layla literally pulled out her phone just to like take a quick, you know, panorama shot. Just like, Oh man, this is the epitome of exhaustion and we just remind ourselves like all right we're putting in the seeds the hard work right now because one day we're oh, gonna be in college and high that's school exactly what you're doing you know it's funny uh, so i remember all that it seems like a blink of an eye hmm. that we were in the middle of all that one time my wife and i were at a um kind of a, a church retreat up in the santa cruz mountains by our house and uh, we had gotten put into a small group with other couples and all these other couples had kids they're about the ages of my kids now and our kids were very young i mean yeah you know, like all three of them were probably under the age of 10 and, uh, or probably even younger than that. And all the other couples kept talking about 
how they were going to deal with like time. They were like, what am I going to do with all this time? I have all this new time on my hands. And they were talking about hobbies and like reading and maybe going back to work and all this stuff. And Jennifer and I are just looking at them going, there are words coming out of your mouth, but they don't mean, yeah. <laughs> they don't understand yeah. what you're talking about Seriously. at all. So yeah. it's funny. Now we're actually in that phase a little bit and it's a huge blessing. What is there anything looking back with your kids are, they're still in that like, yeah. You just recently launched them out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one's but, still at home and yeah, two one, were out there struggling in, in college, <laughs> you know, trying to make their way and figure out how to feed themselves and clothes yeah. themselves. <laughs> exactly. So looking back, I mean, you're just a little bit removed. I mean, and like you said, you got one at home still. So anything you would do different, anything that was like, man, if I could just you change know, that, I would change that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, gosh, I just want to have a ton of mercy on myself and all dads and mothers out there who are doing the best they can to raise kids and follow Jesus. I feel like the most amazing thing about one of the most amazing things about following Jesus is he's always there to help. And so when we mess up and we will mess up a ton of times, he's there to begin the healing process immediately. So I want to have a lot of mercy on myself. I did everything wrong. You know, I just, I got angry (laughs) when I shouldn't have gotten angry. And Mm. I think the biggest piece of wisdom that I ever got around parenting was through prayer. And I would continually pray about my kids. This is especially when they were kind of in the junior high and high school phase. Mm. I would pray and and a phrase would come into my mind. And I believe it was placed there by the Holy Spirit. And it would be, nothing's wrong and the pressure's off. And I would Mm. feel like Mm. everything's wrong and the pressure (laughs) couldn't be higher. Like you have, you know, and I would be parenting from that perspective. And looking back, I can see that it was absolutely true. And whenever I did let that seep into my heart, that there's nothing wrong and the pressure's off, that love is the most important thing, grades and achievements and getting in trouble and all the stuff, which felt so urgent and so important in that moment was just nothing compared to me being there and loving my kids and just loving them the best I could. And so I think those external things that drove urgency and scarcity in my heart just didn't matter at all in the end. What mattered Mm. was me doing my best to love those kids and understand them and accept them and make them feel loved and accepted. So I did a lot of that, but I did a lot wrong too. And, uh, you know, one of the most beautiful things, I tell you, an older, wiser man told me this a few years ago, and I'm starting to see the front end of the truth of it. He said, once your kids get to early 20s, but especially mid to late 20s, when you apologize to them, they can accept it in a way that they can't when they're younger. You can say, hey, you know, I'm really sorry for doing that. And kids up until my kids, I mean, we're a great example of this, up until like 19 or 20, they would say, oh yeah, yeah, it's fine, dad, it's fine, dad. No, it's totally fine. They didn't really sit there and go, yeah, like I need apology for that. And I so appreciate that you're willing to do that. It's an incredible Mm -hmm. gift. Like I think about my dad, I'm very close with my dad still. He's 85 and one of my best buddies, but there are a lot of things that he blew it as a dad. And man, it would be such a gift to my heart for him to come to me and say, Hey, I recognize that I did this and that and this, and that probably really hurt you. And this was really disappointing. And I'm really sorry for that. I can Mm. see what, why that was tough for you. And that was all my fault. And I don't ever want to do that again. I really apologize. That's an incredible gift that one human being can give to another human being. But we can't give that to our kids effectively until they have the maturity to really understand the pain 
and feel the apology. And so I'm starting to be able to do that with my kids. And it's absolutely wonderful. You know, I feel like we as human beings just never apologize. You know, we just never sit there and go, I did it. I shouldn't have done it. It hurt you. I don't want to do it again. If there's something I can do to make, you know, amends for it, then I will. But we just don't do that very often. And as a dad doing that with his kids, when they are at the place that they can receive it, it's just a wonderful thing. So that's one of the well, kind of one of the things that I'm kind of relishing most of this season is being able to to enter into some of that and really deepen those relationships. Because what a way to go from one level of relationship to another very quickly is just recognize your part in the in the pain of their life. You know, mm. man, I had never thought of it like that. And it's there's something profound. It's almost getting into that stage of a relationship. That's so rare. That is, I see all of who you are and I still love you. That's that. I know you fully and I love you fully. Exactly. Gosh, there's nothing better than that, you know, as being fully known and fully loved. And if you can create that in a family, if you can create that in a community, it's just a wonderful thing. Yeah. It's interesting to kind of receive that from your kids as they get older. Right. Because essentially by apologizing, repenting, asking for forgiveness as a more mature adult now, they have to, as saying, I see who you are. Right. And brokenness, which a lot of times our young kids can't see that yet. Right. But for young adults to say that I see who you are and your brokenness and I'm still choosing to love you, man, there's a, there's a, I say this a lot, but it feels like a little piece of heaven on earth. Like we're getting a glimpse of the kingdom. It does feel like that. And the alternative is to stay silent and to, to pretend that nothing ever happened or kind of brush it under the rug. And that just creates division, you know, because everyone knows, you know, you say that young kids have a hard time understanding the brokenness. I mean, that's one of the, that's one of the crazy things of the teenage years is they start letting you know, (laughs) they see your brokenness. And then, you know, later on in life, they see more and more of it. And uh, when they can come to a place because you've been honest and loving, even after you've blown it and you can say, I'm sorry, it deepens intimacy and trust, Mm. you know, that you Mm. saw it. I saw it. We're all on the same page. Well, I can forgive you. I mean, I tell you, when you sit there and make a real apology, it's crazy how people, kids, anybody will sit there and, and once it happens, it's just like forgiveness in an instant. But when it's sort of like, oh, I'm talking around it, I'm kind of justifying it, I'm kind of rationalizing it, I'm, I'm denying it a little bit, I'm running away from it, how that forgiveness just won't come, you know? Wow. But, yeah, that's really powerful, man. We talk a lot about too on the podcast and that tired world about like the balance between lion and lamb. Some of my friends talk about this. John Lovell from Warrior Poet Society talks about this. Jason Wilson, he wrote the book, Cry Like a Man, talks about yeah. this kind of the dichotomy between lion and lamb. And the, the premise is, this is who God is. You know, when he needs to be a lion, he's a lion. And when he needs to be a lamb, he's a lamb. And he's those things both perfectly at the same time, which is incredible. And, and then as us as men trying to figure that out, like when as men do we need to be lion and lamb? when you were describing that repentance to a ch- child and even an older child, it is like, to me, the a, such a beautiful picture of lion and lamb because it takes an, a massive amount of courage to look somebody in the eye, somebody that you love, your kids or your wife, and to say, I failed in this area, specific, like here's a specific area where I fell short and I hurt you. That takes like lion courage. But in the same way, it's you're posturing yourself as a lamb and saying, I want to show enough humility to actually reveal my brokenness to you. It's, I don't know. I got that picture of lion and lamb. In that. Yeah, no. And I think, you know, our culture seems purpose built 
to flip things around. And so we have this picture of masculinity, of being a dad, of fatherhood as sort of the stoic, silent, doesn't share feelings, doesn't apologize kind of person. And we think, oh, that's masculinity. But I mean, I don't want to be too hard on anybody. I, I feel like I'm right there with every dad out there who's made tons of mistakes and gotten everything wrong. But I feel cowardice in myself when I'm not willing to be courageous and say, hey, look, I blew it. Yeah, I didn't know what to do. And I chose this path and it wasn't the right path. I got angry and I gave into you know, fatigue and stress at work and I took it out on you and that was mm. terrible and I shouldn't have done that. You're my precious little baby boy. I mean, when I was doing that, he wasn't a baby boy, but he's still my baby boy. You know, mm. my oldest Jackson took a, the, the brunt of my sort of anger as a dad. Mm. And I feel like how much cowardice there is to never say that to him try to remain stoic rather than just breaking down and saying, look, I did this. And uh, I feel like that's a picture of masculinity. That's, I mean, you're right. I mean, that's the picture of Jesus. That's the heart of God. And mm. that's a God I'll follow anywhere who will lead me into that kind of thing. Did you raise your kids in the Bay area? In California? We did. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I grew was that, up was that strategic? Okay. So you grew up there. No, I mean, it was strategic in, in the fact that like I've fallen in love with this place. So I grew up here. I wouldn't say that I had fallen in love with the Bay Area or California growing up. It was fine. It was where I grew up. I went down to uh, Los Angeles for college and uh, met my wife there. We got married after we were graduated from undergrad and I, we packed up everything in a U-Haul truck and drove to Philadelphia. And I went to law school for three years there. And, and my wife worked as a high school English teacher mm. during the time I was in law school. And then things kind of flipped and I went to work in New York City and she went to grad school there. Mm. And then we moved back here. And so it wasn't until I, I got back here that I really appreciated this place. But that was one piece where I'd kind of lived in, in other cities and, and experienced different parts of the country that certainly changed my appreciation for California. But it wasn't until I went into the kind of ministry world, the mission field, that this became a place that I love because it's a place where a lot of people are hurting. You know, mm -hmm. it's a place where priorities are focused on changing the world and making a lot of money. And they're just a lot of broken lives and a lot of broken families and a lot mm -hmm. of broken hearts. And so when these people, when my neighbors and my colleagues, my former colleagues in the work world became my mission, I just fell in love with this place. And I don't think we'll leave. I mean, I'll, We'll see what God has in store yeah. for us. If he wants us to leave, we'll leave in a heartbeat. But uh, for now, I just, I have a sense of place that I never had before. I, it's funny, I, I would always hear people talk about going hunting and I'd go to you know Montana or Texas or whatever and New Mexico. And, and you hear people talk about a sense of place, like how they felt connected to the land mm -hmm. and the history and all that. I'm not sure I ever felt that until this became a mission field for me. And then I do, I fly in and I look at the, the hills and the, the geography of this place. And I, it's a place that I need to be and, and, and people that I need to love as best as I, I possibly can. Man, that's such a, a radical perspective. Just the other day, I had a friend on the podcast and we were talking about what it looks like to be essentially missionaries in 2022, mm -hmm. you know, and what is it? How do we structure our lives and a lot of that, we were the conversation was about being peacemakers mm. in a world that's just so divided and chaotic. Mm, and there's, just, there's a lot of shouting. And so blessed are the peacemakers, right? Like, what does it look like to just be a person of peace, a servant where you are? And it just feels so different 
when somebody sees it because that's it's become more and more rare right and what you just described is rare for somebody even in the christian world to say i see myself as a sent one here and not only am i a sent one here but i've like i've learned my heart has grown to love it because i love the people that i'm serving the place i'm serving that's so rare man to hear that i haven't heard that in a long time and sometimes when i speak i grew up in california so there's a i always make the joke like I'm from California and, I, and I'm still a Christian. Like I'm the, you know, because there is a reputation kind of in the country Literally. that's like, it's just complete godlessness mm-hmm. in California and on the coast and yeah, all these major sure. places. And yet there's this balance between, okay, we want to, I don't know, raise our families in places that make sense for our values and our, and our belief systems. But there's also like, we need people to be sent ones into the places where God has not abandoned these places. God is never running away from the dark places of our hearts, of our lives, of our family, of our communities. Oh, absolutely. And so we these need are, guys, yeah. These are beloved children of God, you know, that like me have just lost their way, you know, and need to find mm. their way back to their father. So mm. how did you make a shift? A lot of guys right now listening to this podcast are like, they feel the, all the unease of where they're working right now. They're like, man, I just, I hate my job. They can't make a switch. Like I'm sitting here. This doesn't feel like I have any purpose here. This is not where I'm called to be. And guys are really struggling. I know a lot of guys who are really struggling with their work. It sounds like you have done a a few different professions. Did you feel that at any time? Like, Oh yeah, a ton. I mean, you know, the reason I left New York city was, I mean, there were lots of things on the surface that I would tell people. I still tell people, and they were true. We were starting to have kids around the time that we moved from New York to California, and all of our family was back here. And it was also 1999, and Silicon Valley was just exploding with the internet. Mm -hmm. And a lot of my colleagues on Wall Street were leaving there to come here to start companies and all that kind of stuff. But I think the biggest reason was just this sadness on a Monday morning or a Sunday night when I would have to go into work, you know, usually so many times the work week would start on a Sunday night because some deal would start heating up and I'd have to head into work, Uh, which is just a terrible thing to have to go and start the work week on Sunday night. But, uh, you know, on a Monday morning, I would take the subway and, and there would just be a sadness and it just started small. And I thought, hey, this is, you know, and some of that's true. It's just work, you know, work is, you know, thorns and thistles but it started growing and then it came back here and I felt like, well, I've solved it. I'm working with young companies and technology and it's really exciting. And I get to, you know, help early stage companies get going. And I think it did assuage it for a little while, but then that sadness, you know, started getting bigger so that I would notice it again when I was living back here. And over the next 10 years, it grew incrementally, almost imperceptibly to the point where I was almost just drowning in discontent. Mm. And it took getting into, for me, it took getting into community. Like, you know, when you're drowning in discontent, you know, it's tough to be a, a great dad and a, and a great husband at a particularly kind of burned out on a particularly burned out January evening of probably 2005, something like that, 2006, I dragged myself over to a, uh, a men's group that was meeting close to my house. They had invited me for years and I had pushed them off for many reasons. I mean, first of all, these guys were just honest. You talk about being fully known and fully loved. These guys were letting the men in the group 
fully know them. They were talking about pornography and alcohol addiction and rage and stuff that, that was just, here's who I am. And it scared the daylights out of me. I just felt like I don't want anyone to know who I (laughs) really am, you know? And so I had two kind of impulses. One was to run and to never come back, you know, sit through this one session and never come back. And the second one was to stay and never leave because it felt Mm -hmm. like life. It just felt like that we long to be known, you know, we long to live without shame. And and the only way to live without shame is to be fully known and, and accepted. And so I did stay and I, you know, students soon started leading groups of myself. And I feel like the way that that discontent and that frustration over, around work finally started making some sense was those guys allowed me to start walking with God in a way that I hadn't before. And mm. when we start realizing there is a, you know, as C.S. Lewis says, a master of ceremonies at work, things start making a lot more sense. Like I look back on my, on my past and my journey and without God, without his influence in my life and his wisdom in my life, it just looked random and shameful. And what, you know, just a bunch of kind of things in my past, when I start looking at it through his eyes, it becomes beautiful and very purposeful and Mm. and preparatory for what my impact on the world is meant to be. And so I think there was during that period, I, I, uh, there was a man out here that I heard speak and I don't remember what he spoke on, but one sentence stuck with me and it's, and it's still in my heart today is the, the best evidence that you are where you're meant to be is that you're there. So there's a God who intends for through open doors and closed doors for you to be right where you are. So men that are stuck in jobs that feel, they feel underutilized and bored and stressed and frustrated all at the same time. I feel like the, the answer you know, and maybe this isn't the answer a lot of guys want to hear, but it's get into community and start getting a prayer life together and start trying to figure out what God's up to because he's up Mm -hmm. to something. And what he's up to is always something amazing. It's going to blow your hair back. I feel like it's the biggest gift any of us, one of the biggest gifts that we are given is the fact that we get to be pulled into the greatest restoration project of all time, which is the restoration of this world. And, and we get to be peacemakers and healers and tell our stories and it's the greatest. And we can do that right in the job where we are. You know, we can do that as, you know, a CEO or a cashier. We can do it as a, somebody working in a bank or somebody working in a Starbucks. We can light up that place with the presence of God because God dwells within us. And life starts making sense in a way that it doesn't without that. And so that's what happened with me. Absolutely. I continued on for a few years in the venture capital world and trying to be somebody who sat on boards of companies and was a different presence. And I think I did that to some extent. And then at some point, God kind of tapped me on the shoulder and it was time to leave and to to start writing Mm. and pass on the mission of my life is to pass on what those guys in that first group gave to me because it was, like I said, it was life. They gave me because the Holy Spirit dwelt in them. The God of the universe dwelt in their hearts and they were conduits of life to me. And so I just wanted to use whatever talents and capabilities I have to pass that along to as many men as I possibly can. Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying this interview so far. I just want to take a quick minute and thank my friends over at Backgate Prayers for sponsoring today's episode. Valentine's Day is right around the corner, and if you're like most guys, you probably feel totally stuck on what to buy your wife. 
If you're anything like me, you usually forget until the night before and you end up buying your wife some leftover roses and some stale chocolate from the nearest grocery store. If that sounds anything like you, I have good news. Backgate Prayers can help you give an amazing, thoughtful, and super personal gift to your wife this year. Studies have shown, and I know this from personal experience hearing from the wives of the Dad Tired community, that most women long for their husbands to pray with them, and yet less than 8% of couples actually pray together. As spiritual leaders, I know we long to do better than that, and Backgate Prayers can help us. Here's how it works. You will send in Backgate Prayers, your favorite wedding picture or picture of one of your favorite memories together along with your wedding date, and they'll create beautiful and meaningful set of prayer cards that sit in a handmade wooden block. The cards include all kinds of biblically-based prayers that are going to cover topics from your marriage covenant to communication, intimacy, your roles as husbands and wives, mission, community life, work well-being, and a ton more. I promise you this will be one of the most best and thoughtful gifts that you can give your wife, but you need to act fast because Valentine's Day is right around the corner. Go right now to backgateprayers.com, place your order by February 1st, use the discount code DADTIRED, all one word, and you'll get 10% off your entire order. We'll put all this in the show notes, but again, go to backgateprayers.com, place your order by February 1st, and use the discount code DADTIRED, all one word, and you'll get 10% off your entire order. What, what you described in that group is like super rare, man. Like you and I both know we're in the men's ministry world. Absolutely. We, you know, work with a lot of men. What you just described is so rare. Yep. Most guys can say like, I maybe have a few friends that I can watch a game with. Maybe <laughs> when you get married and you have kids, like your friend circle shrinks quite a bit. Yep. Maybe I can, you know, find some guys that'll watch a game with me or hang out or whatever, but finding a group of guys like that, it feels impossible. I know that's what your book, this most recent book rescue is about. I'd love to hear like, how do guys experience that one? Why do we need it? Why do you guys need it? What happens if we don't have it? And then how do you find it? I mean, the premise of the book, it starts out by just kind of laying out this, this case that, uh, you know, the world is a dark place. Like what people would do out here in California is, is go on a Friday night and, you know, drink some craft beer together or, you know, go up to Napa and drink some wine and try to convince ourselves that everything's fine. I don't think everything is fine. The, you know, scripture says the ruler of this world is the enemy. And this culture is a tough, brutal, competitive place. And one of the exercises I encourage guys to do is in the, in the book is just open up the news app on your phone or open up a newspaper and, and pray over it. You know, just pray as you read through articles. And mm. I think it's very eye-opening to how much pain there is in the world. I mean, I can imagine a world where everyone is for me. You know, the, the standard, you know, when, when folks asked, asked Jesus, what's most important? He said, well, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love other people as you love yourself love other people at least as much as you love yourself, right? And so if I was walking around my day today and everybody I met was for me as much as I am for me and I'm for them as much, I mean, people would be quick to forgive, quick to understand, quick to help. Everyone would be, it would be a very different world. We do not live in a world like that. It is far from that. It's a dark place and people are exploited and hurt and treated carelessly, constantly ignored and it's tough being a dad. Like, I think we are conditioned as men to sit there and say, no, 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 it's okay. It's okay. I got this. It's fine. Everything's yeah. fine. You know, other people have it worse. Things are tough. It's tough being a dad. It's tough being a husband. It's tough being a man in this world. It's tough be, being a, you know, ethical and, and moral person at work. And I feel like 
that's a dark picture. It's very much like the picture that Jesus, you know, showed up into 2000 years ago, you know, uh, you know, Jerusalem and Galilee and Canaan, these are places that were just a brutal place to live, you know, wars and, and corruption and slavery. And he brought all this hope. Well, he brings this hope to us now. I mean, there, there's that hope. And, and for me, in my story, and I know a lot of guys are like this, probably not everybody, but uh, I think a lot of guys are like this. We can access God and access that hope most easily and most readily in community. Certainly, time in scripture is important. Certainly, time in prayer is vital. Sitting through a sermon once a week is really important, getting some good teaching. But there's nothing like encountering God one-on-one. And we can encounter him one-on-one in prayer, and we can encounter him one-on-one in scripture. But you know, when Jesus says, I'm uniquely present when two or three are gathered, I feel like he is uniquely present because of the fact that the Holy Spirit lives in my brother and he, and he lives in my heart. And we get to see an active encounter that's just harder to see for men in other areas. And so, and I certainly benefited from that. So on one hand, life is tough, but there's so much hope. And like the idea is to come against, I think, some of the objections. And And we talked about kind of the culture of masculinity or the definition of masculinity in our culture today. And it's very much sort of focus on family, focus on work, don't show your feelings too much, you know, and it's sort of this kind of stoic masculinity. And that results in not having those friends. So you said it's rare and it is rare. Churches, you know, have no idea how to create men's ministry. There are just a lot of groups out there who are incredibly impotent against the difficulties of, of this world. So men show up at a, a Sunday morning Bible study or whatever, and they leave and go, that had no impact on my existence because guys aren't getting honest. They don't know each other. They're not actually accountable to one another, committed to one another. They're not creating a safe place where guys can be honest about what's going on in their life. Nobody really knows. It's just posturing and posing. So that hope doesn't flood into their life. It doesn't. That that light that that Jesus brought into this dark world 2,000 years ago and continues to bring, it doesn't show up. And so guys go, what is community for? But I think, and I have experienced something that is otherworldly, something of tremendous power. And it just kind of, you know, it kind of makes sense. Like you think like in a military context or something, when you come up against a foe that's bigger than you are, you call in reinforcements, you call in air support, you get your brothers around you. And it's not for lack of toughness or masculinity, or it's not because of cowardice. It's because it makes sense. It's just logical. When you come up against something that's too big for you, you bring in reinforcements. But guys come up against things in their life right now, cancer diagnosis, the loss of a loved one, the loss of a reputation because of some you know, mistake you made at work, some loss of financial security. And any of those things are too big for a man to handle on his own. And we don't call anybody. We reach out to the things that we have under our command. We reach out to physical things, created things like alcohol to numb the pain. You know, we reach out to like work to, you know, to distract us and to make us feel better. If I can't feel good in this area, I'm going to feel good in this area. You know, we reach out to pornography and sex. We reach out to things that were never meant and can never, you know, address it. But man, I want to say the bar is really low. Like you talk about, you know, guys may have one or two guys they can watch a game with. Man, my encouragement to any of these guys is ask them to go grab coffee and get honest, you know, and the bar is low. Like 
remember the Holy Spirit dwells in that guy's heart and yours and God will show up, you know, in a way that is unexpected. We don't need to have the right questions or the right Bible study or the right anything other than just invite the presence of the Holy Spirit into that meeting Mm. and get together. And gosh, I tell you, God will show up in an amazing way, not in ways that we, we expect at all. I mean, not the ways that we kind of want, you know, going into the meeting probably, Mm. but he will show up and he'll bring life in a way that is unexpected. And I think, like Jesus says, a hundred times better than anything else you could put together. And he promises this hundredfold thing. And so I've experienced that. And I want to encourage as many guys as I can to, to, uh, to drop the defenses and uh, go meet with one guy and get real and see what happens. Yeah, man. I think there was so much truth in what you just said, because I, I feel that frustration. I felt it personally. And I've, I think a lot of guys feel that like at their churches and you said their churches are really terrible at this. And it's, I love the local church, but man, that can be, that, that's true. Like the, men's ministries aren't necessarily thriving, right? Right. It's not like the, the one area of ministry that you go to at your local church and like, man, right. you guys are crushing this. Like, it's just not that you have a men's breakfast or something. Guys go and they talk about work and you watch yep. the game or whatever, and, and they move on and they're just not finding that. And I think what it's going to take is exactly what you just said. Like the one dude who's vulnerable enough to say, hey, man, you want to grab coffee and then say, my marriage isn't going that great, or I'm really struggling with this, or like, just, oh, yeah, I love that you said the bar's not that low. Like, just go a little bit under the surface. Yeah, yeah, just know? a little just bit. A, just a little bit and watch <laughs> the fruit like happen, man. But oh my gosh, if you sit down and say, hey, I'm struggling with pornography, all of a sudden it goes, you know, it's just like, whoa, <laughs> yeah, yeah. all of a sudden we're like in, people are leaning in yeah. going, hey, let me tell you about what's going on in my life. Yep. It just doesn't take that much, you know? It doesn't. It's a little bit of a permission thing, I think. Guys, you know, a new guy will come to a group that that I'm leading, for instance, and and it's funny, like they'll sit there and go, "Wait, you're talking about that?" And that guy mentioned that. Like, we get to do this. Like, wait, mm. hang on a second, because I want to be known, I want to talk, but I've always felt like I'm not supposed to. And I always kind of joke that I don't know who came up with this, but I heard somebody say that men's ministry or men in a uh, small group or a you know men's ministry context are kind of like penguins on the edge of the cliff. Like one guy goes and they all start going. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that's true. Like all you need to have is one guy say, that's hey, a great analogy just mainly because it's just how dumb guys. You know, it's like, <laughs> what is, like, yeah, we're just about as smart as a penguin <laughs> falling over a cliff. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. yeah man. I know I, I, com- I interrupted your thought there, but yeah, that's good. Com- no, no. I, I completely, it just takes one guy. I've seen it over and over and over again, but I would just tell the listener, like if you're waiting for your church to get that set up and to build the culture, where that's going to happen, bro. You're probably going to wait a long. I think we got to go rogue. We got to go renegade. I think, uh, and I think it's beautiful when we do. I think guys need to go find the context that they are comfortable in. And then if there's no one, I was given a tremendous gift. And a lot of guys are, they're brave men out there doing incredible work in your community where they're doing it, you know, for addiction recovery centers, they're doing it for prison ministries. There are guys out there doing this stuff. You find a guy who's willing to be brave and go first and sit down with you and say, oh, here's what's going on with me and has some experience doing that. That's an incredible gift. But if that guy's not in your life, guess whose job it is? It's yours. And you got to go do it. You got to sit there and take a step and God will meet you. And he'll say, how was that one step? And you'll go, that was terrifying. And it was good. And and he'll say, okay, we want to take one more and one more. And he'll be with you every step of the way. But I get it. Going first is tough. You have to take the full brunt of the kingdom of darkness pushing mm. back against you as you take a little bit of ground for the kingdom of light. But there is incredible 
satisfaction and glory a part of that, you know, of, of being willing to be the, be the guy who changes the atmosphere. You know, you know this, I mean, you, you sit in a group of six guys and everyone's going around going, well, kids are good. Work is busy. Next guy goes, you know, kids are good. Work is busy. And then you go, guys, I don't know if I'm going to survive this. My marriage seems like it's going to fall apart. And everyone's like, wait, can I go again? Yeah, seriously. <laughs> Let's loop back around the circle again. I didn't realize yeah. you got to be honest here. Yeah. yeah. All sure. it takes is that, that to do that. Yeah. And all of a sudden it's, it, you're now a community and you're now a men's group and you're actually allowing the Holy spirit to work and life will flow in. I think, man, if you're listening to this right now, wherever you're at listening to this episode, I imagine that the Holy Spirit is tugging at the hearts of a lot of guys right now listening to this. And you want that so badly. You want to have a group of guys around you. You are facing things that are bigger than yourself. As Justin was talking about, like whatever the thing is, you're like, I can't handle this on my own. And you've probably, or you maybe have been turning to things to try to cope with whatever it is that life has thrown at you that's too big. I would just say, man, if the Holy Spirit's speaking to you, just stop like right now, just like pause the episode and pray. God, what is it? Are you calling me to be vulnerable first? And who are you calling me to be vulnerable to or with? And there's probably one or two. It doesn't have to be six guys, 10 guys, 15 guys. There's probably one or two guys that are probably already in your life right now that would love for you to lead the way. And I love what Justin just said there. Like, you are on the front lines. The kingdom of darkness is going to hit you first. That takes a ton of bravery, bro. Like, that's a lot of courage. But maybe even just listening to this episode right now, the Holy Spirit is prompting you toward that. And so I would just encourage you to pause and seek God on that and his wisdom. Justin, dude, this was, I could sit with you for a long time, not just because you're a fellow Raider fan, which I don't think I've ever had on my podcast. <laughs> it's hard to, hard to find those, but man, you got so much good wisdom, man. Tell us where guys can connect with you. Obviously we've got your book, Rescue. We want all the guys to go pick up a copy of that and uh, leave a review and read that and go through it with some guys. But how else can guys stay connected with you? Yeah. So uh, for everything that my wife and I do, we're both writers. Jen tends to write to women and I tend to write to, to men. We do some stuff together collaboratively. We have a podcast that we do together, but mostly things are kind of focused in that direction. But everything we do is, uh, you know, you can be found on gatherministries.com. You can certainly find rescue on Amazon, just search and rescue and Justin camp, and that'll come right up. But to just sort of find out more about our ministry and the free stuff, we put a ton of free stuff out there. It was a lot of free content. We'd give away everything if we could. The publishers don't like that, but uh, we, we, we do give away a lot of free books. Yeah. Actually, we do give away a lot of free books of the audio book and the eBooks around the launches. We give a lot of free stuff away, but anyway, we give it all away if we could, but um, you can get all that kind of get connected with all that stuff at gatherministries.com. Cool. We'll put a link in the show notes for that and encourage all our guys to go over there. Thanks, man. This was wonderful. I really enjoyed our conversation and, and tackling some of this stuff that I think a lot of guys are uh, thinking about and struggling through and, and wanting just to have more conversations about. So thank you, man, for taking the time. Oh, man, it's my honor, Jared. I just, uh, yeah, like I said, I've been a fan from afar for a long time. So it's just an honor to sit and talk to a brother and talk to somebody I've been kind of admiring and, mm. and just share hearts a little bit. So just a great way to spend, spend an hour here. means a ton, man. Thank you. All right. Hey 
Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed today's episode and that it was helpful for you in falling more in love with Jesus and helping your family do the same. Just want to remind you that we're about to dive into a new cohort for our family leadership program starting February 2022. If you want to jump into that, we'd love to have you, but we only have five spots left. So come snatch one of those spots. You can do that by going to dadtired.com forward slash lead, L-E-A-D. Again, that's dadtired.com forward slash lead. Love you guys. We'll see you next week. Thank you.